Louise McSherry on 2FM. Even people who aren't interested in fashion recognise the power and influence of Vogue magazine. It has spawned a thousand films, a thousand articles, a thousand think pieces. And now Nina Sophia Morales, author and editor of Lifestyle, Culture and Arts publication Londoner, is giving us a look behind the pages via her book, Glossy, The Inside Story of Vogue. We just can't get enough. And Nina Sophia, I'm so glad you're joining me now. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. It's thanks so for Thanks for coming on. I'm so excited to talk to you because people including me just have a rabid fascination with Vogue, don't they? Yeah, people love it. I love it. What do you think it is? I think it's just been around for so long. Um that kind of gives it a huge, you know, weight and it's it's also just it's glamorous, isn't it? We all want to feel a bit of glamour in our lives. It's like the the fashion, the personalities, the big brands they work with, the kind of international scope. I think it kind of fulfills a little bit of a fantasy for us all. Mm. We, I think a lot of us would love to to be part of that, how it looks on the outside, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I'm just thinking about that episode of Sex and the City where Carrie goes to have the meeting at Vogue and then she ends up getting drunk at Vogue and just even the way she's talking about it. I was drunk, I was drunk at Vogue. <laughs> we do kind of have it on this on this pedestal, don't we? Um, so how did you come then to write the book? Um, I wrote the book because I was actually just researching some other fashion article and Anna Winter kept popping up. I thought, God, she's everywhere. There must have been other editors. And I thought, well, I haven't heard of many, so maybe one or two. So maybe they weren't that interesting. Um, So I just kind of Googled first ever editor Vogue and she was incredible. I mean, she changed. She built the fashion industry, definitely the fashion publishing industry. As we know it now, she invented the catwalk. Um... She organized all the designers in France, even though she was American. So she was, you know, a huge, huge personality. And I thought, God, I can't believe I've never heard of her. I wonder who was the first editor of British Vogue. And it just kept going and going and going. And they're just so lively, so mad, so creative, um, so eccentric. And I just, I so fell in love with the editors of Vogue. Who were some of your favorite people you discovered along the way? Mm, I love the first American editor, the one I've just spoken mm. about, um, because, you know, she got a job in, it was like practically the Victorian days when women really weren't supposed to work. Mm. Um, and she became the director of the company and she was on the board and she was the chair of Condé Nast. So I think she's incredible as like a, a role model. Um, there was the editor of the editors of British and French Vogue during the Second World War, they did an, an unbelievable job. The editor of French Vogue used to hide the magazine from the Nazis who really wanted to um, take it over. So wow. he would have to like bury documents in the woods, pretend that he was sick so he couldn't go to interviews, lie <laughs> in the like German headquarters. He was basically putting his whole family's life at risk. And what in- did the Nazis wanted to take it over? Yeah, they wanted Vogue because they thought it would be an amazing piece of propaganda. They thought Mm. that so many people read Vogue. If they secretly took control of it, they could start pushing their messages like in between the lines. Mm, Wow. We're wearing a lot of red, black and white this summer. (laughs) It's terrible. Um, But that's amazing. So, yeah. So so I suppose the, the integrity of Vogue was so important to that editor that he was willing to risk it all. Yeah, 
totally. And other editors have been willing to risk it all. The English editor from the same time period, she would literally not leave her office as the building was getting bombed (laughs) to finish writing her bits of copy to meet the deadlines. So, like, the windows would be getting blown up and she'd just be at her desk (laughs) in her gas mask. It's so funny because all of those stories kind of um, suggest that the, the idea of Vogue being on a pedestal is not just something that people outside of Vogue see. It seems to me that the people who are inside of Vogue kind of view it that way as well, that it is this kind of almost holy publication that has to go out at all costs. Yeah, it's um, definitely, I was really fascinated by how dedicated the staff were, how much they loved it, that they kind of gave their life to it in a way. And most editors are there for their entire careers. Mm. So there was one editor who was there for nearly 60 years. (laughs) Wow. So, um, So people kind of fall in love with Vogue, I guess. Maybe it's addictive. Yeah, I mean, it must be because people, well, I suppose, you know, you have to acknowledge that there is a a change in the way that we live our lives. We change our job a lot more frequently now than we used to. But I mean, even Anna Winter has been there for, what is it, like 30 years? Yeah, yeah. Going on, coming up to 40, I think I've got this feeling that she's trying to beat the longest standing editor-in-chief. She's got a few more years to go. I think she wants that title. Oh, I'd say, I'd say so. But it's funny because we all view Anna Winter as this kind of terrifying, um, you know, kind of almost evil queen at the, at the top of the Vogue magazine <laughs> chain. And I understand that there's, you know, there's a bit of kind of fantasy around all of that. But, you know, it sounds like the people who went before her almost paved the way for that kind of level of commitment or that that power, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Anna Winter kind of that, she, don't get me wrong, I think she's very determined, very hardworking, but I do also think that she came at a point where the world was ready for editors to kind of be celebrities in their own right, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, um, the newspaper started writing articles about Vogue and all of that, which wouldn't have happened before, and obviously TV started, um, you know, growing and so on, so there were kind of a lot more channels for that sort of exposure, Um, The thing about Anna Winter, though, is that although I think she's probably very good at her job now, she was not always very good at her job. So she actually got fired from really most major magazines before ending up at American Vogue. (laughs) And that's quite nice in a way because you sort of think she must be the best of the best. But it's nice to know that everybody gets into trouble sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose, yeah, if, you, if, if at first you don't succeed, fail, fail again, as they mm. say. Um, that's that's really interesting. I never knew that. Um, so I guess it, it's funny when you learn about the, the people behind the magazine, you can kind of understand why it's been at the top. But where do you think Vogue sits now in 2021 when things are changing so much in the media landscape? Mm, as much as I, I'm so interested in Vogue, I have to say that I think they're running into quite a lot of trouble now. Mm. Um, definitely, they are losing, well, hemorrhaging money. Um, and I think they're having a real trouble trying to figure out how to make it back. And the sad thing about that is that they're going further and further away from what's essentially their core product, the print magazine, and kind of investing all their money in what I would say is like slightly bizarre, sort of watering down the brand type moves so for example they started opening vogue cafes in like developing countries which in theory there's nothing wrong with that but you don't think of that as something that would build the reputation of vogue um Mm. they're also spending loads of money on things like youtube videos of celebrities which feels like a bit of a shame because 
you know, is not necessarily fashion-based, that's one. And two, we can get celebrity information from the celebrities themselves. We've got Twitter, we've got Instagram. Mm. We don't need Vogue to spend 100K on a two-minute clip mm. when they could be blowing our minds with the fashion pages. So you're not a huge fan of the 73 questions? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, no, I totally see what you're saying. And like, even, you know, I know they do a lot of kind of makeup tutorials now and stuff. And you're right. That's a that's a diluted market. And they do have access, I suppose, to the best people in the business or the most famous people in the business. But but yeah, I mean, it's it's the I want to see the big, elaborate kind of beauty photo shoots and stuff like that that we saw in, um, you know, Grace Coddington working on um, in the September issue documentary and that kind of thing. Um, I, you know, I do feel like it certainly feels like I think that there's been a bit of reinvigoration since Edward and in full took over in the UK, you know, Vogue certainly hasn't always shone in terms of representation. Do you think that they're improving fast enough on that front? Or do you think that's important for them to stay relevant? I think it's extremely important. Um, it's probably one of the most important issues Vogue has to tackle. I would say that's number one. The one thing that I would say that kind of I think is, is super important and not a lot of people know is that although Edward Ennefel, I think, is doing, you know, definitely very different work to what we saw before in the UK, the thing about it is is that he's not people kind of treating it like he showed up and he's the first person to ever want to do this. There's actually a really long history starting from the 1950s of editors of Vogue who have been trying to put black models on the cover, mm. who have been trying to include ethnic minorities, who have actually, um, you know, gone out of their way to try and be more inclusive, more diverse. And almost all of them have been fired and then have disappeared from history, like mm. kind of, you know, sucked into the void. So actually... What's upsetting to me is that those incredible personalities don't get the recognition they deserve. And people think that um, as a Jennifer, the, you know, is kind of the, the first person to come up with this idea. But the one big difference is that he's the first, it, he's living in a time, the first time in history when audiences and advertisers are prepared to accept yeah. Um, diversity. It's not about he's the first person to have the idea. It's just that we're finally, finally living in a moment where people are going to accept that. I mean, before editors, you know, they'd have readers writing in saying, how dare you put a black person on the cover and the poor woman would get fired. Yeah. So um, it's just that society's changed more that Edward Ennefel has got an original idea. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense because, I mean, that that is the way that we're living. I mean, we've never had so many conversations about diversity and representation than we have in the last 10 years no doubt about that or even five years um yeah i saw the current or the new cover of vogue features amanda gorman um the poet who spoke at joe biden's inauguration and it's a stunning cover um but i feel like that's the first time in a good while that i've been blown away by a vogue cover <laughs> so maybe that yeah. says it all yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um she's yeah, it's definitely interesting. I think it's an incredible cover. Um, I also think I'm so happy to see someone who is not just, you know, a mod, you know, a famous person's daughter turned model on the cover. <laughs> you know, it's boring mm. to see kind of TV personalities, people like Kim Kardashian or Vogue. First of all, because we see them everywhere else, and mm. secondly, because I I don't know if it's so exciting to celebrate the same kind of person again and again. Mm. What's really fun about Amanda Gorman, or what's important about her as well, is that she's a poet. Mm. That's so different, yeah. um, and I think that's really fun and really kind of 
inspiring, massively inspiring. Mm. Not really, yeah. Um, so hopefully, you know, it'll be fun to see people like that because Vogue isn't just promoting beauty anymore. They're kind of speaking for, you know, magazines are a reflection of society. So mm. it would be nice to think that our society is more than you know, people like Kendall Jenner. Yeah. If you were made editor of Vogue tomorrow, what would you do? Oh, loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would definitely keep up that streak of starting with Amanda Gorman, just keep going, put people like female astronauts on the cover or, you know, scientists, things that aren't like too heavily political and things that are not too heavily pop culture because I think there's more to be said for the world than what Vogue is representing. And that's the whole issue people have with Vogue in the first place. But also I would want it to be more artistic because up until literally the early noughties, Vogue was known for having the most groundbreaking imagery ever. So in the Mm. 20s, it was famous for that. In the 40s and the 50s, the 60s, 70s, it's literally only the last 20 years where, you know, it kind of becomes something we all recognize and Mm. isn't, so innovative. So I think bring back the the cutting edge image makers. Let's get crazy. I would give you the job. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so much for chatting to me. If you want to learn more about Vogue magazine and the people who have made it what it is, uh, you can buy Glossy, the inside story of Vogue by Nina Sophia Morales, who is author and editor of Lifestyle, Culture and Arts publication Londoner. Nina Sophia, thank you so much for speaking to me today. Thank you. Louise McSharry on 2FM.